Good morning, Twitter. I'm Saeed Jones. He, of course, is the wonderful Isaac Fitzgerald. Y'all, another week has succeeded in being the longest week of our damn lives. Huh. And you're watching AM to DM. Yeah, man, the news yesterday out of Annapolis was absolutely heartbreaking, absolutely tragic. And so scary, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, my thoughts are, of course, with everyone impacted, uh, the victims and, and their colleagues, their families, I, you know, going to work and then having that situation at that newspaper. Really and we scary. should say right now there are police officers outside of the BuzzFeed News building, and there are also police officers outside of many other media, major media outlets in New York City. Right, which is jarring, and apparently this, is, this was a similar response that than NYPD had after the 2015 Charlie Hebdo shooting. Um, and I, I just want to say, you know, of course, listen, we work in a newsroom. We work in a news organization. Um, BuzzFeed's, you know, logo is on the streets. Pretty easy to find. That's scary. Um, but also, this is a, a dynamic, a situation that should not be relatable, right? Mm. We should not uh, be so easy to be like, oh, this is just like Charlie Hebdo, or this is what it's like walking into your school and thinking about Parkland or going to a concert and, and you know. Or a just, movie theater. This shouldn't, yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness. These spaces that we cannot take for granted, you know, it's, it's. Jarring. It is jarring. It is heartbreaking. But we will say this: the Capital Gazette they put out a newspaper. Y'all, let's bring that up. It. Let's bring that put up. They had. Image. There it is. I mean, a heartbreaking headline, of course. But they did. That wasn't just. That wasn't just a front page they put out. They put out a whole newspaper. The only blank part of the paper was the opinion page, mm. which read: Today we are speechless. This page is intentionally left blank today to commemorate victims of Thursday's shootings at our office. Tomorrow, this page will return to its steady purpose of offering our readers informed opinions about the world around them, that they might be better citizens. And shout out to y'all, unbothered, mm -hmm. undeterred. You know. It, Unwavering. It, it's so powerful to see people be like, you know, we are not going to be uh, intimidated out of doing our job, which also speaks to the fact that we have a president mm -hmm. who uh, has created an atmosphere. And this is not talking about motive. I don't know what that shooter did, and I'm not going to dedicate attention to him. Mm -hmm. um, but we have a president who has said that journalists are the enemy of the people. What, what does that mean when the leader of the free world talks that way? We and at a campaign a rally offering to pay people's legal fees if they take an act of violence on journalists that were in the room. Again, not speaking of the motives of the shooter at this uh, at this newspaper. Uh, you can find more about that on the BuzzFeed News website. There's a whole piece about what his motives are and the long, long history he had with this paper. Mm -hmm. But as with any major breaking news event, the timeline was also flooded with misinformation. Our own Jane Litvinenko tweeted, I'm keeping track of fakes and hoaxes about the shooting at Capitol Gazette in Annapolis and we'll post them in this thread. If you see any, send them my way. Jane joins us now from Toronto. Jane, good morning. Good morning, guys. All right, so let's start with this fake, fake New York Times screenshot that you highlighted. Uh, what's the story here? So essentially, after the shooting, uh, everybody was speculating as to what the motive was. There was there was so much speculation, it started trending on Twitter. Um, and I guess that was uh, the catalyst for this, this very fake screenshot uh, that essentially faked a New York Times op-ed. Okay. Um, and we've seen this before. We've seen a lot of uh, uh, fake screenshots, including from BuzzFeed uh, itself. Um, so this is not a new kind of hoax. Okay, so it's something that's been happening quite a bit lately. Not Absolutely. a new type of hoax. Another tweet from you, Jane. There's a coordinated campaign that's spreading a fake suspect's name. This man is not the shooter. We've seen this hoax before. One account has already been banned for spreading it. Uh, what is this hoax, Jane, and where have we seen it before? 
So we've seen it before um, in a couple of school shootings. And this is one of those hoaxes that uh, comes from the worst parts of the internet, which is 4chan. Um, and essentially, it is a coordinated campaign to try to get uh, either reporters or uh, um, elected officials to say the wrong name of the shooter. So generally, we see this with figures like Sam Hyde, um, we see this with a German YouTuber called Dragonlord. Uh, they will pass around the same names or the same images uh, in an attempt to essentially dupe the reporters. And if they do, they get to celebrate it. Um, so this is what we saw here. Okay. And Jane, um, I mean, there are so many hoaxes and a lot of misinformation. Any other examples that kind of stand out for you that you saw yesterday? Yeah, absolutely. There was a report going around that the suspect burned his fingertips off in an attempt to um, not be identified. And that report was uh, relying on uh, essentially anonymous sources. But um, on CNN yesterday, uh, Police Lieutenant um, Ryan Frazier said that this was absolutely false and there's no basis for it. But I'm still seeing it float around today. So that was definitely a big one. Yeah, I mean, I definitely saw that one myself. Oh, yeah. um, I got to ask, is Twitter getting any better at kind of crushing these hoaxes, crushing these fakes? You mentioned that one user had been banned. Uh, are, are they becoming more responsive? say so. Um, in the past, we've seen the type of coordinated campaign that we've mentioned, we've seen it uh, overwhelm the feeds. Uh, but I, I would say that this time around, uh, Twitter's response was fairly quick. Um, and we didn't necessarily see the same type of targeted harassment of uh, journalists or of uh, people who are there uh, that we have in the past. So it is. it does seem to be improving, but I'm very cautiously optimistic. Cautiously optimistic that it's improving. Well, Jane, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Jane. All right, friends. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about white people calling the cops on people of color for no reason. Mm, a mood. <laughs> uh, a theme of the week. <laughs> a phenomenon. A theme of the month. A cultural history. A theme of the year. An era. A theme of history. <laughs> I think you just said that. Do you want to use the graphic? I super do. Let's uh, put it Here we go. Woo! <laughs> what are these white people doing? Mm, mm, dun, 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 mm. dun, dun. You love that Y'all are trash and you're scared of black people. Anyway, let's talk about it. BuzzFeed <laughs> <laughs> News has just published a data-driven story focusing on one block in Harlem to look at the role gentrification plays in increased 311 quality of life complaints. Y'all, this AKA is... AKA snitching. Yeah, snitching. <laughs> it's fascinating. And of course, the brilliant mind behind this article, BuzzFeed News reporter Lam Vo joins us now. Lam, good morning. Good morning. All right. So listen, we talk about you know, permit patty and you know all of this. A lot of barbecue Becky, barbecue Becky. Mm -hmm. You know Starbucks. This happens a lot. What inspired you to use data as a lens to look at this phenomenon? The phenomenon being racism. So what we have are viral incidents, right? People have a feeling for something, people see this happening, but they don't always know whether it's an outlier or whether this is kind of a norm. And so I was like, why don't I look at 17 million 311 complaints in New York City to find out? Um, and so that's what we did. We looked at uh, 17 million complaints, we looked at historical census data, and then we looked at every single census tract in all of New York City. 17 million complaints. All right, I've got to ask, because this story just broke. We're like basically breaking it right now, tweeting it out right now. For folks that haven't had the chance to read it, what's the gist? Like, how did you look at 17 million complaints and what did you find? 
So basically, we wanted to start out with the big picture and then narrow it down. What are complaints that people have about each other? Oftentimes, that's noise complaints or this person is converting their apartment illegally. Those are the kinds of things where people are complaining about each other, not necessarily the potholes out in the streets. And that's kind of like a maybe a measure, not necessarily of what's wrong out there, but maybe what people perceive to be wrong. And so we looked into um, figuring out where the rates were the highest throughout New York City. And then separate from that, looked into different tracks and saw which ones had gentrified over time. Where did homes become more expensive? Where were people at the beginning of gentrification, um, the gentrification period, sort of poor enough to then get a higher medium uh, income or higher uh, home prices later on. And then separately from that, we looked into how racial changes in each census tract played into that. It's, uh, this is fascinating. It, and listen, this is just a few blocks from my old apartment in Harlem. Um, I used to live on 141st. You speak to uh, new white residents, um, and you also speak to some longtime residents about this. What do they have to say, both, both of those demographics? So first of all, we spoke to a 105-year-old man who um, who was sitting out on his stoop and had been doing this for decades, and he was very sad about the increased police um, presence. And like they were trying to figure out what had been happening because no one had come up to them saying, you are being too loud. Um, then we talked to new residents, and I have to be clear, like not everyone who moved there is going to call 311. It's, it came down to like out of like eight residents who uh, we talked to. Some said it wasn't too loud. Some said it was very loud. But none of them had like filed complaints until we talked to one person who said, well, this person was um, playing music really loudly. And I felt like I needed to approach him through the authorities, not personally. And I think there's this fundamental thing that happens when you have new people moving into a neighborhood that is very, let's say, Dominican or very predominantly one thing, one race or ethnicity, and they are another, they may feel uncomfortable actually approaching their neighbors and saying, hey, can you turn it down? Which everyone else, long-term residents, have been doing for decades. Yeah, imagine having a conversation with your neighbors. Uh, one chart in particular was especially striking. It shows how complaints have spiked for the whole block since 2015. I uh, want to bring up that chart. Can you Oof. explain it to us? I mean, look at that. That's crazy. What happened in 2015? <laughs> I wonder. Hmm. <laughs> well, we talked to residents, and while no one can really truly confirm who called those complaints in or who filed those complaints online, um, they told us that a police officer once came up and was like, look, I know you guys have a good block here. Crime is down. There's no reason for me to be here, but there's someone who keeps calling and I have to be here. And so in many ways, like everyone in that system is doing their job. Um, and then there's one person who seems to be very aggravated by this and um, maybe, well, that's what we think. Um, and makes it really hard for other people to continue leading their lives the way they did for decades. Absolutely, because listen, living as I said earlier this morning, I was like, listen, I knew it was summer in Harlem because the old people would come out with their little folding tables and start playing dominoes. Like that was just, it's a part of the neighborhood. It's like, it's part of the culture and it's beautiful and great. Rachel said, uh, wait, how old was this man? Did I hear 105? Yes, Rachel, he was mm -hmm. five years old. It was his 105th birthday uh, on uh, June 6th. So. I, and just the idea that a lot of these calls are coming from one person, I'm like, when do you get to start calling 311 
on the 311 callers. I'm just saying. And to that point, I wanted to ask you, what did the NYPD kind of have to say, if anything, about this? They didn't respond or comment. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. They didn't respond or comment. I know well, they you... referred us to the they referred us to the uh, the the um, to the uh, FOIA unit so that we could get other information in different ways. Mm. All right, Lon. Was there anything else? Anything else that really stood out to you? Anything that really surprised you from digging deep into all this? I think here's the biggest thing: when you move into a new neighborhood, you should break down those barriers and get over yourself and actually just talk to folks. I think that's the biggest thing that I noticed, that a lot of people who are new and were a little bit perturbed by some things would be like, you know, but that's the way they are and maybe I should just like, this is not the community I'm part of, but that doesn't mean you don't get to be. We talked to people out in the stoops and they were like, you know, just talk to us, just say hello. And I think a biggest, the biggest thing is that filing 3,000 noise complaints over three years whether it's one person or like whether it's a few, a handful of people, that sounds like something is festering, some anger is festering there that could easily be dissolved if you actually just like went outside and talked to folks. I stood outside for like half an hour. I went there three times and talked to various people. It's, it's, it just takes that sort of awkwardness, get, get over, getting over that awkwardness at the beginning to then actually be like, all right, let's talk. Let's figure this out. We have to live together now. Totally. Because, again, it is perfectly reasonable to be like, listen, I got a baby. We're trying to sleep here. And, you know, I know you're having a good time, but could you turn it down? That's a perfectly reasonable conversation to have. Mm -hmm. um, well, Lam, again, right. uh, you're a brilliant data scientist, and I think it's so cool the way you use open data to look at social issues. Thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you. Man, you might even make a friend. Listen. You might even make a friend. Won't you be friend. my neighbor, y'all? I know all y'all out here watching the Mr. Rogers documentary. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You might get an invitation. You might end up at a party you wouldn't end up at. You might have some Yeah, and it's fun. That's a great point. Like, the fact of, like, going back to the decorum, if you move into a new place, you know, the first day or so, you introduce yourself to the new neighbors, that you're establishing a relationship that might be helpful later on. You know what civility isn't? Calling the cops. Listen. But listen, <laughs> let's get uncivil for a second. After all that, after all that high horse it's I was about just to be on. Knockdown, drag out. Uh, uh, <laughs> all right, let's talk about Drake. Now listen, I really liked Pusha T's album from earlier this year. I'm not going to pretend I didn't. My only complaint was that it was only 21 minutes long. So I'm with Neil, who tweeted, <laughs> me coming to listen to that new Drake after slandering him for the past year. Oh my and that's, God. yeah. Because I, I won't lie, I was like, I was like, I know I've talked a lot of shit, but let's hear how this goes. He still doesn't have big dick energy. Well, I'm with Shawnee Hilton on this. She tweeted, uh, y'all are really making listening to this new Drake album sound like homework. Mm. It is. 25 songs is too much. I saw the poet, wonderful poet Nate Marshall tweet, Drake needs an editor. It's not that he's not talented. It's just like, girl, too much. Like, everything is love. It's like nine songs, excellent. You know, know, know what you're trying to communicate and communicate it. I'm just going to say I'm here for a double CD, all right? Because that's what this album is. Let me tell you, kids, if you don't know what it is. It's a double CD, 25 songs. And, you know, Wu-Tang had a very classic double CD. Biggie had a very classic double CD. Tupac had a very classic double CD. I don't know Whatever. if Scorpion's on that level. I gotta listen it to it for- It certainly is not. Gotta listen to it a few more times, but I get what he was going for. He definitely is not in dead rapper category. Um, I would say, direct me to the bops, friend. That's what I- All right, we're getting Zachary Fox spoke to <laughs> complicated emotions. Straight oh culture goodness. is texting people you hurt years ago. What you doing as soon as the Drake album drops? I'm so and mad. That's I, the truth. I definitely just saw a lower third that said Saeed give Drake a chance. Did you write that? 
trash. Anyway, here is a tweet from, okay, this username, Velour Suit Poppy, <laughs> that has an incredibly rude but mm. accurate point. Mm. Uh, Joe Jackson died and told Mike to get back to work. Woo! Is this about the Michael Jackson sample? Yes, that is offensive. Y'all are terrible. It had 40,000 retweets, though. I had to put it in the show. Had tweet. to put it in the show. Damn right, I'm gonna make you terrible. read it, not me. I'm gonna call 311 on Isaac. Oh, all right. <laughs> but listen, side A, you know, got you've got basically a solid rap okay. album. Side B, a bit emotional. And have you listened to the whole thing yet? I've been skipping. I mean, that's, I literally, I mean, you know, listen, I know it's a big thing on Twitter, so I was waking up this morning trying to listen to it as much as I could. Trying, I just, you know, I love Drake. He's a good rapper. He's a talented rapper, mm -hmm. but I really vibe when he, like, passion fruit, you know, like. You like it. emo Drake. I love it, yeah. You like oh R&B Drake. That's when I get it. So I wanted the croon, I want, I, and I, I haven't found that song yet. F <laughs> feel free to, like, at me and be like, this is the song you want, sister girl. He Where's is. my passion fruit? He's still looking for his dream. I will say, dun, dun, just hearing you dun, say that made me picture Drake coming out with, like, a jazz album, just like with one of those big microphones, like a smoky blue that's cover. What I, for that's what for you I want. actually envisioned like, like him being like a lounge singer. You want acoustic drink. For passion. You want MTV Not acoustic. acoustic. <laughs> <laughs> but like wedding singer, you know, all blue. I would love it, I would live. Some things were uh, shown on the album. Uh, Drake, all his business. <laughs> Drake Drake basically being his own personal TMZ. He uh, talked about his kid a lot. That Those are just facts now. He wrote, okay. I wasn't hiding my kid from the world. I was hiding the world from my kid. Uh, he also had survival. That's, that's some Trump logic, Drake. Here's some things. <laughs> I'm gonna say this, all what? right? Defend Drake. Okay. Drake's fans are kind of like Trump fans in that he can do no wrong. In that he can do no wrong. Because I, I'm a little <laughs> on the fence with this, but a lot of people really came out hard for this album. Yeah. Also, he, he's maybe an independent artist now. Uh, Jay-Z. Yeah, off Cash Money, oh. uh, and Jay-Z and Drake are cool again. Jay-Z featured, Michael Jackson featured on the album, Mariah sampled, Nicki Minaj sampled. I'll listen to it later today, we'll see. But here's the real mood. Drake's album, and this is from yesterday, hasn't even dropped, and I'm already thinking about texting my ex. <laughs> to that end, let's take it to the timeline. We want all of your push a T. Uh, what has Drake made you do? Cry, call an ex, get a tattoo of Aaliyah. Let Oof. us know using the hashtag, 25 songs is too long for an album. <laughs> In, in Saeed's case, uh, he made him turn the album off. I'm gonna say uh, this though, I'm gonna make a prediction right now, I'm gonna call it. Saeed tends to say no to things and I'm then kind of come around to them. I'm a Sagittarius. Unless they're from Beyonce. If they're from Beyonce, right out the gate, he's down. I ain't crazy. I could see maybe two or three weeks, you find some jams you really like. I mean, like. I, listen, I was looking for the song. So if y'all, you know, you knowing that I like Passion Fruit, for example, if you're like, oh, there's totally a track that's like gonna vibe with that, at me, honestly, mm. because before the show is over. I won't lie, Drake's made me cry once or twice. But listen, I'm gonna leave it with somebody's <laughs> son skipping straight to March 14, because no Drake song with a date, time, or city has ever let me down. And that is, that's a jam, it's a good song. <laughs> I just, this is so funny to argue with you about. Anyway, I'm gonna take Danette Smith's advice. You tweeted, side B is better. You not missing nothing if you skip side A. Okay. All right, agree to agree, disagree, up next. We're gonna use some of this energy to burn it down. It's time for Fire Tweaks. You all sure do love dunking on Drake. It's so easy. Uh, again, a lot it's not of- Not even a dunk, it's like a- A lot of fans out there too, but Christian, you tweeted, Drake's about to start rapping about Paw Patrol and uh, the fact that he has a kid, uh, that's, I feel like that's a low blow. I'm gonna say, Christian, that was a low blow. I mean, I would argue it's not because that would imply you're actually spending time with your child. 
Fire tweets! Fire tweets, friends! This get into from- it! <laughs> I hate this tweet so much. Okay, we'll get through it together, Twitter. This comes from June Chung. Ugh. I found a cockroach crawling inside my dishwasher. Mm. <laughs> Ew, either the cockroach is clean or my dishes is dirty, depending on how you look at it. That's a that's a glass half full, glass it's half empty situation. It's a very clever tweet. I love uh, it. Gross, disgusting, I'm traumatized. You're traumatized because you have a dishwasher I now. I, I do. And now you're picturing. Oh, is that why you made me read it? cockroach in it. Oh, come on. I like to think of the cockroach as clean. He's in there, he's got like a loofah. It's so he's got like a little, he's got a little hair hat on. It'll be and, great. And listen, unless that cockroach is singing share songs, it's a moot point because I'm just not cool with it. And your dishwasher? I mean, now we've got half of a movie script. Here we go. <laughs> Dylan Jalua, you said, it's so stressful to be alive in America right now to the point where recently at a restaurant, I was like, is this Crazy Train by Ozzy Osbourne? And my friend said, there is no music playing at all. Oh, mm. Man. Do you hear it? Do you hear the song the second I, you said Unfortunately, mm. now it's stuck in my head. And it really is uh, a good soundtrack to what's happening It's rough right out now. here, friends. It's, it's true. Crazy. It's true. Crazy making. This comes uh, from Sydney McElroy. Here we go. We were just driving by a cemetery, and my three-year-old daughter pointed out the window and said, look, little kid Stonehenge. Oh, my God. First of all, Sydney, your kid is really smart. <laughs> And maybe a little goth. And like just a little dark. <laughs> That's true. Just a little dark. Shout out to three-year-olds knowing like about Stonehenge. Little Stonehenge. Woof. And uh, listen, it ties into this next username, mm. Baby Ghoul. You tweeted, <laughs> I need everyone to stop wearing red baseball hats. I'm tired of straining my eyes to see if it's a racist or a misunderstanding. Let's talk about mm. this. Yeah. yeah. None of y'all are clever. They're like, make America gay again. Ha- mm. Mm. No, 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 mm. no, no. If I see a redhead with white, red hat with white lettering. Why are you even adding the white lettering? <laughs> Just no red hats. <laughs> Just, they're gone. It, it is the, you know, it says something. It says something about you. There was a lot spoken in that silence. I got it though. I picked up what you were putting down. Anyway, this tweet comes from the brilliant short, short story writer, Daniel Evans. Here we go. If you compliment a woman on her dress and it has pockets, and she doesn't immediately say, thank you, it has pockets, she's a spy, FYI. Absolutely. Yo, listen, I have never in my life talked to a woman whose dress has pockets and she has not talked about those pockets. Yeah, because they don't get many pockets Uh at all, ever, so they're really excited about it. So if somebody doesn't mention it, I'm gonna go further than spy. Alien, robot. If they don't mention it, it's because they're, 311, hi, I would like to report. All right. Aaron Keen, you tweeted, every woman I know has been storing anger for years in her body, and it's starting to feel like bees are going to pour out of all of our mouths at the same time. And I just think that's a beautiful tweet that speaks to a lot of anger and draws an image. Just picture that, you're walking down the street, and that happens because that is what it's feeling and like these a, days. That's absolutely what we all deserve. Kirsten, you just said come back to Texas and see the Texas cockroaches. No, thank you. <laughs> no, thank you. Okay, let's get to our tweet of the day. Let's do it. It comes from Lauren. We are extending Pride Month until the straights can give us 31 consecutive days without being awful. Mm. I don't ask for much. Mm. I just want excellence, perfection, peace, and world happiness. Listen, trash, this has been the most stressful Pride Month ever. I take 31 minutes. 
I'd take 31 minutes at this point. This is a mess. Things are a mess. Do we have any more days in June now? Uh, I believe we do, buddy. Sorry to, sorry. Hold fast. Sorry to report. Hold fast, Queens. But listen, up next, I'm talking with director, uh, just absolute icon. king, icon. Rob Reiner is here and in the house. After that, we're going live from the district. Stick it's around. I am not going to tell I'm joined by director, actor, writer, producer, activist, icon, Rob Reiner. How are you doing this morning? Hey, I'm feeling pretty good. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate you coming on this show. My pleasure. So let's start with your new movie, yeah. Shock and Awe. Yeah. Tells the story of a journalist kind of trying to expose the truth during the Bush administration. Right. Why was it important to you to tell that story now? Well, it's interesting. I wanted to tell the story back in 2003. Mm -hmm. I mean, when, when we were starting that march towards Iraq, it, which to me was the worst foreign policy decision in my lifetime, I realized that I was of draft age during the Vietnam War, and I did, couldn't believe that twice mm -hmm. in my lifetime we'd see uh, uh, us go to war based on a lie. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to tell the story then. I thought maybe I'd do it as a satire, like a, a Dr. Strangelove kind of thing, mm -hmm. and, and it, it just couldn't get a script. Tried again uh, with a dramatic take, didn't work. And then I saw this documentary by Bill Moyers, who was the press secretary for Lyndon Johnson. And he interviewed, he had these four journalists from Knight Ritter mm -hmm. who basically got it all right. They got from the get-go. From the get-go. While the New York Times and other places were getting it wrong. Right. And the, I said, this is the way in. Tell the story of these guys and why, how did they get it right? And why didn't they break through? And how important it is for uh, a free and independent press mm -hmm. to get the truth out to the American people. And now we're in that place where it is even more critical than uh, at that point. Than at that point, absolutely. Uh, you did, you brought up the Vietnam War. What are the comparisons there? Well, I mean, during the the the, uh, the way in which we got into the Vietnam War was the, the 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 famous Gulf of Tonkin resolution, in which we were told that we were our ship was attacked in the Gulf of Tonkin, and therefore we had to respond and we had to go in and and uh, you know. Uh, push back the North Vietnamese, but it turned out not to be exactly the way they said it. Mm -hmm. But at the time, there was a fervor in this country about anti-communism, about the domino theory that the communists were going to take over the world, and people were, uh, you know, were, were were motivated by that. During the uh, Iraq War, we were wrapped up wrapped up in patriotism. We right. had just been attacked at 9/11. Mm -hmm. There was a trauma in this country, and the mainstream media basically uh, drunk. The Kool-Aid. Yeah, and they, they, the Kool they banged the drum. They banged yeah. the drum. Yeah. Why is it important to you, uh, you, you mentioned kind of the, the times we're in now, to tell the stories of journalists and journalists that are really trying to go against the grain? Because right now, the headwinds for honest journalism are more steep than they've ever been. I mean, they're more forceful than they've ever been. We have, for the first time in American history, there's always been left and right. We've always had those arguments. We've always, always been a divide. But this is the first time where a, a United States president is essentially backed up by state-run media, mm -hmm. between Fox and Breitbart and, and Sinclair. And I read today where uh, Steve Bannon and uh, uh, O'Reilly are starting another big uh, news outlet. 
for for the it's a battle for the truth rather than a battle for ideas about policy. You've got the other mainstream media who is working very hard now to get the truth out. But then the question is, what is the truth? Mm -hmm. If if forty percent of the country is getting fed only a certain amount of what I what I their lies mm. and they're getting uh, basically cemented in their in their thinking how does the mainstream media who is trafficking in truth or trying to get to the truth uh, break through and I think that's more uh, it's it's more paramount now than ever before and the and, and, and let me ask you what would you say to those viewers um, who, who who are watching as you put it state-run media uh, viewers of Fox News who say no this is the truth what would you want to say to them well I, the point is I can't say anything to them because they are you know, cemented in their ideas. And I'm, you know, a Hollywood libtard to them. You know, they're not going to have a, a dialogue with me. They're not going to have a discussion with me because, you know, uh, for, for, for Sean Hannity to come out and say that Maxine Waters is responsible for the, uh, the shooting that we had in Annapolis uh, yesterday, that's crazy. Mm -hmm. That's crazy mm -hmm. talk. Mm -hmm. And so uh, how do you even begin? And the people who are listening to that, that they take that as true. Mm -hmm. Maxine Waters is now the person who was responsible for that lunatic going out there and shooting people in a in a in a newspaper because office. of the statements of Sean Hannity. I want to get into your activism, and obviously this is stuff that you are very passionate yeah. about. You were just on the Texas border yes. um, protesting against Dr Trump's zero tolerance policy. Right. Um, what made you get involved in this protest, in this movement, and and what did you learn down there? Listen, I'm 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 fighting tooth and nail to preserve uh, 242 years of self-rule. Mm -hmm. We're now uh, fraying at the edges. We've seen uh, the press being called the enemy of the people. We're seeing the rule of law being uh, denigrated. We're seeing the pillars of democracy eaten away uh, uh, at the foundation. So that's what I'm all about. And when you see something egregious like uh, separating children from their parents, I mean, that's that's fascism. That's what fascist governments do. They do those kind of things. They they basically say uh, every ill that you have is because of those other people. They're responsible for why your life isn't good, and we got to blame them. And so you see this kind of behavior, and we see these kind of fascistic, totalitarian uh, uh, ideas creeping into our uh, democracy, and it's it's scary. It's scary. It's scary, and it makes you want to go down there and 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 use your voice. Yeah, I do whatever I can. I mean, like I say, they have, the other half is going to call me a libtard, and they're not going to believe anything I say anyway. So I'm just trying to get the people who are open-minded to think about this stuff to and to pay to attention. Them. But yeah. let's talk, let's talk about that civility. Civility is a word that's been thrown a lot, around a lot this week. Yeah. Um, Recently, Robert De Niro said, fuck Trump. Yeah, you actually didn't no, love that's not that. Good. That's not good. I mean, the point is, though, and, you know, he can have any opinion he wants about Trump. I have a, you know, uh, same kind of opinion. I don't use that language, uh, you know, but let's be fair here. Mm -hmm. You've got a president of, the, you know, he's got the bully pulpit. He's the most important uh, political figure in the world right now. And he is saying the most horrible, heinous types of things. Mm -hmm. Talk about lack of civility. 
He sets the tone. He sets the tone when he calls the press enemy the people. He sets the tone when he starts uh, uh, denigrating people and using epithets all the time in, 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 in his tweets. So, uh, you know, yes, it's not right for Robert De Niro to do that. But, you know, as they say, the old expression, a fish stinks from the head. The fish stinks from the head. And, and so you're going you're gonna to say, though, that it was not right for De Niro to of say that. Of course not. I mean, it's not, it's not right. It's free speech. Mm. You can say whatever you want. I don't think it's a helpful thing for uh, people who are trying to get their idea across to be using, you know, using those tactics. Yeah. All right. Let me ask, what do you say to people that think, you know, celebrities shouldn't get involved in this? Somebody that sees you down at the border and says, maybe you're even doing more damage than good, um, you know, just by bringing your, as to use your word for, for what other people might call you, a libtard, uh, to go down there and raise your voice, that it will be distraction, distracting from the real work. Uh, you know, I think that that's crazy. I mean, I think there are certain celebrities who uh, they're useful to draw attention to a particular issue. Uh, you wouldn't ask them to speak uh, and, and, and drill down on second and third and fourth tier questions on a particular issue. But I, I, I'm a little different if people do know me a little bit. I, I, I did have a job in government for seven years. I, I ran a, a commission in California for seven years. And I do have some experience in how uh, uh, policy and politics and government work together. So I'm not going to go down there and speak out unless I've done my homework and I understand uh, what the policies are and what they uh, how they've been changed, and, and, and you can ask me questions about it. Then I become a citizen who, uh, you know, can bring, uh, shed some light on a particular issue. You're like, Rob Reiner has done his homework. Well, I, I, I wouldn't go out there and speak out against something unless I have at least a little bit of information, unlike uh, President of the United States. I mean, the guy doesn't do his homework. He doesn't read. He doesn't uh, understand how the Constitution works. He doesn't understand how American uh, democracy works. Uh, and he just does things that ultimately are going to aggrandize him and, and somehow make him richer or whatever. And, 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 and he's thinking about the impacts. He's talking about pulling out of the World Trade Organization. Mm -hmm. If he does something like that, it will disrupt uh, a, a global trade and global economy all over the world. I mean, you know, he, he doesn't he understand does, the impact he, of he things. He does things that really impact people's lives. And I yes. do, I want to get back to, you brought up California. You actually fought against the gay marriage ban in California. Yeah. Um, you have, like you said, you're not just an activist. You've really worked in there. You know your stuff. Is there anything you would say to people who have upcoming Supreme Court battles in front of them? Any groups and organizations that might find themselves very soon fighting for things. Well, I mean, my, my, one of my closest friends is, is Chad Griffin, who uh, is the president of the Human Rights Campaign, and he will uh, be out there in force. Uh, gay rights are, uh, are on the, uh, are, are, are on, you know, right out there, and you've got uh, women's rights, mm -hmm. and, you know, Roe Ro is definitely Ro under right attack. Here. Uh, and you have workers' rights and you have civil rights, you have all those things. But I would say we have to push back in a big way. But the most important thing is we have a president right now who's under investigation for possibly money laundering, obstruction of justice, and conspiring with a foreign enemy to undermine democracy. I submit that you don't want a president to be making a choice for a Supreme Court justice who ultimately might be adjudicating on his guilt or innocence. Mm. That, can't, that, can't, that can't stand. Mm. All right, I, I think those are strong words. I wanna ask you one last question before I let yeah. you go. We have a, a president right now, came up in the 80s and 90s, all right? And that is some of, some of your hits, some of your directing hits. 
Before I let you go, is there a movie or a character from your canon who you think best encapsulates the moment we're in right now? Archie Bunker. <laughs> I mean, come on. The man is from Queens. He's a, he's a racist. And he would have voted for Trump if he was around today. So, and there it is. We're going to leave it with that. Rob Reiner, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Shock and Awe is in theaters July 13th. You don't want to miss it. Stick around. We're going live from the district next. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome back. We are now going live from the district with BuzzFeed News White House correspondent, the most sane person with an insane job, Tarini <laughs> Party. Tarini, good morning. Where are you today? Good morning. Uh, we're in Lafayette Park, right outside the White House, where the protests over family separation will start here tomorrow. All right. Well, here's a tweet from BuzzFeed News. The White House will start interviewing candidates next week to replace Supreme Court Justice Anthony Kennedy, a top Trump advisor tells BuzzFeed News. Uh, Tarini, do we have any idea who the White House is planning on talking to? So we don't know exactly whom the White House is going to be talking to, but we have somewhat of an idea. The president has said that they'll be picking the nominee uh, based on this list that he put out during the campaign. And we also know that they're probably looking for someone with connections to Justice Kennedy, perhaps. So maybe someone who clerked, clerked for him in the past, someone who has some connections to the justice, maybe. Interesting. All right. Well, here's a tweet from The New York Times. Inside the campaign to get Justice Kennedy to retire, strategic praise, assurances his legacy would remain intact, and personal ties to the Trumps. Mm -hmm. Tarini, it seems like the Trumps and Kennedys are a lot closer than we thought before. This story kind of took over the timeline this morning. Uh, what's the significance here? For sure. So the New York Times reported that Justice Kennedy's son actually had a business relationship with President Trump. Um, we know that Justice Kennedy's son is pretty high up in the real estate banking world. And we know that uh, the president borrowed a billion dollars from uh, Justice Kennedy, the, the bank where Justice Kennedy's son works uh, for some of his uh, real estate projects. And uh, they've had this sort of connection over the last few years. We also know that uh, during his address to Congress, he briefly mentioned that connection that he knows his son to Justice Kennedy himself. We also now know that uh, the, the president's daughter, Ivanka Trump, was invited to the Supreme Court as a guest of Justice Kennedy last year. Um, so, Tarini, I mean, listen, I, it's, I don't expect you to have a crystal ball, but um, is this a story of significance that could, like, alter, you know, the trajectory of uh, the Supreme Court story? Or is it simply like, wow, this is crazy, but everything's crazy? It does seem like, you know, wow, everything is crazy. This is just another example of it. We know that the president obviously has a lot of advisors around him, you know, telling him, giving him different options of who he should pick for his nominee. And it's not unusual, as the Times story also says, uh, for the president to try to strategically nudge out some of these Supreme Court justices so he has the opportunity to fill a vacancy. Right. Everybody tries to do that. They want that opportunity. Well, let's talk about ICE. Here's a tweet from Senator Kirsten Gillibrand. I believe we need to protect families who need help, and ICE isn't doing that. It has become a deportation force. We need to separate immigration issues from criminal justice. We need to abolish ICE, start over, and build something that actually works. Okay, so for the last couple of weeks, I think it's, you know, we've certainly seen a lot of people on Twitter kind of talking about uh, the fact that ICE maybe should be abolished. Um, 
Um, but is it fair to say that Kirsten Gillibrand might be one of the first senators to say it publicly? That's right. She is the first senator to go quite that far. We've seen other uh, senators kind of bring up this topic as well. We've, they've, they've talked about how ICE needs to be reformed. Uh, Kamala Harris, another senator, brought up how she thinks maybe we need to start from scratch on ICE. But, you know, no other senator had quite used the word abolish before Senator Gillibrand. Mm. All right. And we saw a lot of reps uh, kind of at the protest yesterday. Do you think there's going to be any representatives at the protest in the park right behind you tomorrow? It definitely seems like it. We saw a number of them yesterday, uh, with some of them getting arrested, um, really showing up to show that Democrats care about this issue. Uh, so we're expecting a number of them to show up tomorrow as well. And I believe uh, uh, Representative Jaya Paul, who appeared on the show last week, was one of those people arrested. Absolutely. Uh, here's another right. tweet from the New York Times. At least 19 ICE investigators are seeking to dissolve the agency, concerned that the Trump administration's crackdown on illegal migrants has limited their ability to pursue national security threats, child pornography, and transnational crime. Mm. Torini, is the call to abolish ICE also coming from inside the ICE house? That definitely seems like it from that letter. There's a concern here that ICE is getting this sort of image under the president and they're ignoring some of the other responsibilities that they have or that the, the image that they now have under this administration is hurting those other responsibilities that the administration has. We also know that there is a whistleblower, a former spokesperson for the agency, who was giving an interview with CBS recently uh, when government officials showed up. Uh, this spokesperson says that the Obama administration and and the Trump administration told him to spin certain situations uh, in a way that he did not feel comfortable. And especially under the Trump administration, there was a point where he thought the administration was lying in terms of describing uh, a raid that happened in California. So, you know, we're seeing a lot of people speak up from within the agencies, several candidates across the country. We're now seeing people like Senator Gillibrand also bring up the issue. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out and how much momentum uh, potentially the issue of abolishing ICE gets in the next few weeks. A conversation that's probably not going anywhere anytime soon. Tarini, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. Enjoy your Friday. Uh, listen, up next, get ready to cry, because David is here, and he's talking about the short animated film, Bow. I'm leaving the studio. Oh, my God. I'm getting it's my Kleenexes. Have you seen it yet? Ah, we just cried and cried and cried and cried and cried and cried and cried. Welcome back. Alison Wilmore, a critic and culture writer here at BuzzFeed News, tweeted, I think I saw Incredibles 2, but it was hard to tell through the stream of tears pouring down my face from pretty much the first frame of Bow. Alison joins me now to talk about the Asian-centered short film and why it left some <coughs> white people uh, confused. Hi, I'm the a resident white person here. How are you? Good, how are you? First of all, I love our chats. This is always the best part of AM to DM. Everyone will agree. Uh, <laughs> now, in the theater, Bao is one of these Pixar shorts, right, that plays right before Incredibles 2. Uh, let's not give away too much to start with, but what can you tell us about the film that people need to know? Well, it's a semi-autobiographical film, and it's about a Chinese-Canadian 
Canadian woman who has empty nest syndrome mm -hmm. and kind of imagines that one of her dumplings comes to life and like becomes this whole kind of like chance to relive her like child being sure. in the home. Okay, uh, for 10 seconds, if you haven't seen it, turn your sound down because we're going to talk about a key moment of it. Just sound down, sound down, sound down. Okay, so the ending, right? Like, well, she eats the bow. Well, it's a metaphor. <laughs> it's a metaphor. It's a metaphor for her intense, maybe, like, smothering love for her yes. child, who is going his own way and doesn't necessarily relate to everything okay. uh, about her. It's okay, good. Okay, good. Sound back up. Sound back up. You Not can say It's safe to come back. <laughs> Hi, welcome back. Welcome back. Now, uh, Ariana Zhang, you tweeted, me when I hear people say they thought bow was confusing and stupid versus me when I realize their cultural insensitivity and inability to process basic metaphor makes the short even more special for those of us that did resonate with it. Be right back, gonna BRB, be right back, gonna call my mum now. Uh, tell me, in the screening that you were in, did you notice this kind of divide between people who kind of got it and then the people who didn't get it? Well, I think there are definitely some people who take it very literally mm -hmm. and so are shocked at the moment where she eats <clears throat> the child dumpling. Yes. It's And it's certainly meant to be a weird moment. Yes. But I, I mean, I don't know. As like the child of an Asian immigrant myself, my yeah. mom is Chinese Singaporean. I like, I am the softest touch for this movie. Sure. I was basically just like sobbing from the first frame. I think that it does try and engage with something very specific with regard to immigrant guilt. Mm -hmm. And this idea of someone worrying that she's not connecting to her child, yeah. who is more maybe Canadian in culture than Chinese. Uh, but I think that that's not that hard to understand. I would hope so, right? <laughs> I don't think that that's like a real stretch to kind yeah. of uh, get your head around. I feel like, uh, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm an immigrant in that I'm an Australian in America. Uh, my mom lives a long way away and I feel like any mum content is going to get to me, and I feel like it sounds like you're the same, right? Yeah, absolutely. Your mum lives in California? She lives in California, but, uh, you know, it's a long way away. Yeah. And I just, I, like, my mom has been known to wear, as is true for a lot of Asian moms, mm -hmm. uh, a sun visor the way the mom does <laughs> in this short. And I was just like, uh -oh. oh, just like, uh, it's like pulling a string. Cheers. Now, all right, I want to get to this tweet from Lily. Seeing people laughing about the Pixar short bow is uncomfortable and frustrating. I cried watching it and related to it, and I didn't even need to be Asian to understand the metaphor. People truly are just put off by other cultures being represented in mainstream media without stereotypes. This feels like a, a kind of a, a groundbreaking short. It is a short, but it feels like a groundbreaking moment for uh, Asian representation in uh, at least animation, but I would say cinema more broadly, right? It's specifically targeted towards one community, but it has, you know, sensitivity there, right? Sure, and you know, I think that uh, Pixar is uh, like a company that's like hugely dear to a lot of our hearts. Mm -hmm. It's undergone some turmoil recently, but I think you're also seeing them make a lot of effort to be like, this is the first short that was directed by a woman. Yeah the company and certainly by an Asian woman mm -hmm. uh, and you've seen more kind of diversity in terms of who is getting to direct these movies and I think a little bit more about who's gonna getting put on screen yeah uh, Coco was a huge yes. deal you know so I think that you're seeing more thought being put into who especially for kids movies where you're like this is yeah. so formative an experience for you watching so I hope people give this a chance and understand that it's not 
it's supposed to be funny sad. Now you're a film critic, I want to talk briefly. Pixar is known for just destroying people emotionally and sometimes it happens in up like 10 minutes in but then they also make these shorts that are condensed down to a couple of minutes. How, how do they destroy us emotionally in three minutes of film? How is that even possible? Well something about the shorts is they're almost I think entirely wordless you know yeah. that bow is dialogue free as yeah. well and uh, Sanjay's super team which was one from a few years ago also mm -hmm. one that I love and also another kind of step forward in terms of representation no dialogue mm -hmm. I think that that's part of it it just really appeals to something that kind of is very more more basic and more emotional and so that's why I think in like five or six minutes it can just totally destroy you you mentioned that this is the first uh, Pixar short directed by uh, a woman right uh, it, it's important right to have these stories directed by people who kind of know what they're talking about right as well you would say sure and I think that like you know directing animation is I think it's it's its own thing it involves right. seeing huge teams of people yeah. but I do think that you see I mean this this short has such a different approach to both like the way the characters look and to the kind of story it tells and I think you just see the huge benefits of allowing more voices into the room mm -hmm. you know you just see growth in terms of this animation brand and right. I was thrilled to see it amen well be warned if you're off to see the Incredibles 2 be prepared to be destroyed beforehand thank you for joining us Allison up next Saeed is answering all your questions with dear ferocity stay tuned Happy Friday, friends. Okay, it's time for Dear Ferocity, where I give you advice off the top of my head. Uh, this week's Dear Ferocity questions are about dealing with microaggressions. I tweeted this out, and y'all DM me some stories um, and some questions, and so let's talk about them. Here's the first one. Um, how do you deal with constant anti-queer microaggressions from your family? My mom is a conservative Christian who constantly makes digs at queer people. I don't think she realizes how much it bothers me, but I also don't want to rock the boat. What should I do, if anything? Um, I, this, is, this is hard. Um, I, I think, you know, when I came out to my mom, I, and that was a, a positive moment, but the second phase of our relationship was tricky and unexpected. The phase where uh, my mom was aware that I was gay, um, but like dealing with, as you're talking about, like the sense of like the broader uh, culture of, of, of talking about queer people. Like my mom would freeze up anytime I talked about gay people after I came out to her. And so it felt like, you know, like she would get this deer in headlights. And in your case, you know, um, your mom seems to be disconnected from the fact that you are also a gay person or a queer person. And so talking about them is talking about you. Um, I'm assuming you have, you love your mom and you have, a, you know, an important relationship. So it's not a one you can just easily walk away from. I'm assuming that. Um, I would say, Try uh, to have a compassionate conversation where you remind her, listen, I'm one of those people. You know, um, if, you know, you saw a white person uh, just talking about black people out there, you know, and I, as a black person, you, you know, you connect that dot. That, that's kind of how it feels. I know you are not trying to be hurtful to me in that moment, but it does hurt. And I, I think, again, that is very reasonable. And I think that's fair. And I think your mom loves you. And I very much hope that that love will guide her to understanding that. Um, but I, I wish you love because that's that's really hard. Um, our next question is a little easier to deal with, I think. Um, how do you handle non-black people uh, touching my hair? Y'all, and this is non-black people of color, so people who are not white, but they're not black, touching your hair. Listen, I, uh, uh, 
the fact that this still happens is so crazy to me. Um, and I and listen, I, I, you DM me and I DM you back. I'm tempted to say just backhand them. Um, but listen, I think when someone does that, you say that was inappropriate, and I would like you not to do that again. Okay, um, because that's what it is. And I think if someone goes, why is it inappropriate? Why, you know, what? Well, then they've get, they've told you everything you need to know, and that's the end of all of your future interactions. But hopefully, if you turn to someone and go, oh, that was inappropriate. Please don't do that. They should go, oh, I'm sorry, and that's it. You know what I mean? And if they have a reasonable response, then the relationship continues. If not, then I think it's time to walk away. Okay. Uh, number three, uh, I have only recently learned uh, what microaggressions are. Okay, welcome to the party, friend, um, and the impact they have. Now that I know, I can see them happening frequently to some of my con colleagues who are minorities and women. My problem is that I see what is happening and understand the impact on them, but I don't know what to say or do in the moment. I know what is happening is a problem, and I want to do something, but I freeze. I want to be a better ally for my colleagues, but I'm not sure how to do so or whom to ask for help. Okay, right on. Um, I appreciate your openness. You know, first, you can read, okay? Shout out to uh, Brittany Cooper. She has a wonderful book, uh, Eloquent Rage. You know, you can read books by, you know, wonderful black feminists that kind of talk about these dynamics so you can learn more. I think the thing about microaggressions that's really hard is that when it happens, um, you know, when someone touches your hair, when your boss, you know, makes a, a random comment and you're like, what's, you know, um, in your mind, you're kind of already gaslighting yourself and doubting and trying, and it's exhausting. And so I find in those moments, it's very helpful, if I've been in this situation, for example, for Isaac to turn to me and go, that was fucked up. You know what I mean? To, to confirm that, that my anxiety, that my, my hurt, my concern is valid and that it's not unreasonable. And so I think, you know, as an ally, if you witness those moments, something that you can do is just, you know, turn to the person. And it's okay. I understand in, in the moment, sometimes it's hard to act, but maybe right after or later, go back to the person and say, yep, I saw that. And I'm sorry I didn't speak up in that moment, but I do want to let you know that wasn't right. You know, and, and I think that means a lot because so often uh, we are the only one in the room. We're the only person of color. We're the only woman. We're only the only queer person. And it's just so lonely. And so the only thing worse than feeling lonely is feeling isolated in your hurt. And so it means, I think, so much to reach out. Okay. Um, thank you for being open. Um, one more. Uh, I am a history teacher. And so, of course, we cover a lot of race topics in class. Listen, I don't think that's something we can take for granted, so shout out to you. I like having open conversations with my class to discuss race, and I have made an effort to make the room a safe place. When we do cover these issues, I try to give the floor to my students of color so they feel heard and understood. During a parent-teacher conference, a parent told me singling her daughter out uh, to speak on these issues is a form of microaggression. I didn't know what to say. Immediately, I was on the defense, but in an effort to make my classroom a safe place, this hurt me. How do I repair this relationship with my students and parents? Okay. Oh, oh I'm here for the nuance, baby. Okay, so here's what I would say. Listen, I don't think... Um, is this a microaggression or not, is a winning conversation. Like, I, I don't think that leads us to a very productive place. It's only, you know, if someone feels that they were hurt or othered, they feel that they were hurt or othered. And I think we have to honor how people feel. I think in this scenario, it's helpful to ask people, what would you prefer? 
what would be the more ideal way to approach this, right? Like these conversations, as you say, are important. And I understand you want to include um, students of color's voices in talking about race and, and its role in history. Um, but you go like, so that's the goal. But, it, you know, from your perspective, mom or student, you know, do you have ideas about what you would prefer? How would, how would this work uh, better for you? Include them in the process because what you're trying to do is very constructive. Um, I think, again, you know, when dealing with microaggressions, I think the hurt so often comes from this sense that someone has not even considered your humanity, right? They, they've reached out and touched your hair as if you are a pet, right? Or, or they've kind of slighted you without even kind of considering, hey, there's a person there. So I think speaking to that person, connecting with them, and, and, and including them in your thought process is the beginning uh, uh, of a more productive space that you're trying to communicate and create. All right. Well, thank you for your questions, friends. Again, you can tweet me using the hashtag Dear Ferocity. You can tweet me topic ideas. I wouldn't hate it. You can also DM me. Uh, we'll deal with more questions. Well, not next week because we're going on vacation, but the week after next. Anyway, when we come back, Isaac and I are going to read your tweets, a Friday at us situation. <laughs> Welcome back. Uh, I did see a few people on the timeline with Rob Reiner talking about which character he is. And I, you guys were having fun with that. I'm not going to, you know, no spoilers. Go check out the hashtag games at DM. But it was pretty I'll, funny. I'll let y'all have that. It was pretty, pretty funny. You feel good, man? I do. I, guys, this week has been so long. I, I you know, I, I think we're pretty week? clear. <laughs> Listen, uh, we're pretty clear about it. But I, I have to own the fact that the last two weeks in particular um, have been very difficult. I think it's been very difficult uh, to be a citizen. Uh, to, to be a compassionate human being, but also to someone, you know, engaging the news. And I know you feel the same. It's been hard, you know. And so we're, we're going on vacation That's next right. week. And I, I'm frankly so grateful because it's, I love Twitter. Y'all know I do. I love news. I'm obsessed, but I'm grateful for the opportunity to step away. Too. Yeah, you, you might take it off your phone, but it's not one of the situations where you're giving me a password to hold for you. You'll probably, you'll probably be on there scoping things out once or twice. Uh, well, listen, <laughs> we were talking earlier about 311 calls. And Tanya Melendez says... No one should be allowed to file a 311 complaint online. Way too easy. Make them call and speak to a person. And this this answers a question because, like, again, like one block, it was like 3,000 calls were like basically referenced like one person. And I was like, how is it? You would have to be on the phone all day. But it's like, oh, if it's a computer thing. Also, people got time. People got time. That's true. People got time. And, you know, again, definitely make people call. But I would argue maybe think before you call through. Just think. Mm -hmm. Think before you dial. Think before you dial. I mean, the fact of the matter yeah. is, and like Lom said, uh, if there's a pothole, if there is a situation, you know, your, your, apart your, landlord. your apartment roof yeah. is falling and something like that. I get it. But if it is your neighbors, you live in a community. Go have discussions. Don't immediately bring in outside forces. And that's, listen, we know about the, the how quickly these situations can escalate. So I'm not going to pretend to educate y'all on something you know really well, right? But what's what I think is cool about this is that this is a positive, it's not just like correcting a harm. There is a, a, a positive uh, opportunity here where you have a better relationship with your neighbors. That is always great. So not only is it like don't unnecessarily call the cops because things can get really bad. Someone could get hurt or worse as a result of your careless decision. But it's also like you can have a better relationship with your neighbors. And I think that is always a positive. All of a sudden you have somebody that'll hold on to your key for you. Yeah. You get locked out. Oh, your neighbors got a key. Look at that. Look at all the positivity mm -hmm. that and listen, out of it. I'm a single lady in the city. I need my neighbors to be concerned, girl. It's like, I, don't, I haven't seen Saeed in a while. Listen, okay? I didn't think that's that where that was going. Y'all saw that episode of 30 Rock. <laughs> okay, anyway. We were also, of course, talking about gentrification because that's very much a part of this. This is what Nichelle Stevens had to say. 
I'm on the board of my neighborhood association here in Savannah. Oh, I love Savannah. I want to come visit you, Nichelle. Anyway, I recently uh, asked the local police officer to explain to our member to use 311 versus using 911. Yikes. The fact that that even had to be explained is concerning. Mm-hmm. Whoa. That's tough. Yeah. Yeah. And then... <laughs> I, oh God! I like it's not surprising, yeah. but it is listen, enlightening. Listen, here's Isaac is so invested on not snitching that I kid you not. Once I asked Isaac to tell me the weather, and he said, "I'm not telling you because I know snitch." That actually happened. This morning, Said asked me if I'd ever called the cops on anyone. You looked at me. I sure did. Like I was you know, Mars. Uh, all right. Anyway. Anyways, after my discussion with Rob Reiner, Cini <laughs> Martinez says we need every wise elder speaking up. Like Rob Reiner, he he came ready. Listen, he came ready to talk. Rob Reiner brought more heat than Drake's album. He was on fire. <laughs> You're so bad at me. He was on fire. I mean, he he made really good, smart, generous points, mm -hmm. and 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 just he's very self-aware. He's like, you know, the the paradox is I'm saying all these things, and many of the people I would like to communicate and have a dialogue with are immediately going to dismiss me, mm -hmm. and, and 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 aware of that, and. He knows Ooh. the stakes are high, and I will say one of the people uh, you shouted out a character of his that maybe speaks to our, our current uh, president, Prince Humperdinck, was used. Uh, shout out to that. Just shout out. It's good character. <laughs> Just shout out to that. That's really good. I'm sorry. Okay, let's talk about dresses with pockets. Latria, <laughs> this is what you had to say. Dress pockets are life. Y'all don't even know. And I got I to gotta say, Latria, we do know because we're men and everything we wear has pockets. <laughs> They're awesome. Uh, I think it's crazy that all dresses don't. It's part of the injustice. It's pretty pretty unreasonable. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I get mm -hmm. it. They. They're really useful. <laughs> <laughs> I put all kinds of things in my I want a lower third that says Saeed Pro Pockets. I endorse. Yeah. This message has been approved. Message has been approved. Thank you <laughs> to all the pockets out there. And thank you to our guests, Rob Reiner, Jane Lipvinenko, Lombo, Tarini Party, David Mack, and Allison Wilmore for joining us today. And again, next week, we won't be here. I'm going to Provincetown. I ain't telling you where I'm going. Woo! Telling you where He's I'm going. going to an undisclosed location. But we did tape some really fun episodes. I love the game that you're going to see Isaac and I we, play. We play a like marriage like game. The, the marriage game. Yeah. It's really fun yeah. uh, and good stuff. And you, you get, get to, to see find some fun out interviews. who's the better friend. <laughs> so <laughs> don't miss out. Obviously, the answer is me. Anyway, you can watch it, of course, 10 a.m. Monday. Uh, we'll be here Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. We're going to take off July 4th. Right. But we have pre tapes for you next week, so don't go away. And I'll probably be on the timeline talking with you while the show's going yeah. on. Don't know. And our episode about July 4th is lit because we knew shit was going to hit the fan before we even knew how it was going to hit the fan. So. Good luck, America. I don't know if I'm going to say what happy July 4th. What does the 4th of July mean to the Negro? But good luck. <laughs> Talk to you later. <laughs> Stay safe.